Welcome to Foundation Church's weekly message. We hope you are equipped by this message from Pastor Tom Lively. For more information about our church, please visit foundationchurchfl.com. Today we're talking about the power of our words. We're taking the attack to them. Let's hop right to Proverbs 18, 21. This verse is way different than people think that it is. It's, tr- it's strictly used as an anti-gossip verse, which is totally valid in that use, but there's more to it than just that. Let's look at it. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life. Everybody heard that, right? The tongue has the power of life. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 33, 6. The tongue has the power of of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So the tongue has the power of life. If you love that aspect, you'll eat that fruit. If you speak life, you will eat the fruit of your tongue. The tongue has the power of life and death, and whatever aspect you love, you will dine upon that fruit. An example of that, Romans chapter 4, verse 17. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. The tongue has the power of life, and it also has the power to take life away. So you can use it. Whichever aspect you want, you will eat that fruit. Amen. Amen. The tongue also has the power of death. You know, I, I use this in the first service. I'm going to use it again. This is Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. There's a list of sins here of which Paul warns that if you live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Things like hatred, things like sexual immorality, homosexuality, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. But you know, he doesn't even break down like sexual immorality. He doesn't say lust or, uh, you know, adultery or anything else. But when it comes to words, he actually breaks it down into three separate divisions. Discords, dissensions, and factions. The tongue has incredible power that he actually breaks it down into three sections, discord, dissensions, and factions. We need to be very careful about the words that we say. We need to be very careful about separating close friends through gossip and sowing dissension inside the church. There must be a gossip ring going on in Foundation Church. There isn't. If I find out about it, there won't be. I can promise you that. But those three things, you look at, always look at the emphasis of Scripture. If you look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, you need to, it's another list of sins. You can find sins that are, that are, if people live like this, they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 9, uh, Revelation 21, 8, right here, uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, I mean, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, all those. There's lists of sins. And when you look at Revelation 21, 8, you need to look at the emphasis that God puts on things. He names all sorts of other things, even, even things like, like blasphemy and murder. But when in, in Revelation 28, he just says he puts all in front of one word, all liars. So we need to know that God, if you look at the emphasis of Scripture, he does not like a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. It's, it's one of the seven abominations of God. 
And it's one of the few times in scripture where it says God hates the man. He actually hates a person who stirs up dissensions among brothers. So our words are incredibly important. Incredibly important. The tongue has the power of life and the tongue has the power of death. If you're speaking death, you will eat that fruit. This is where Ecclesiastes 5.2 comes in. Do not be quick with your mouth. How many of us in here are compelled almost to the place of compulsion that everybody has to hear every waking moment thought that you have? Everybody just needs to hear what I have to say. Not necessarily. Need to gauge that via the Holy Spirit. Lord, do you want me to speak right now? Ask him before you talk. But if we're gonna speak death, this is where Ecclesiastes 5.2 comes in. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. If you're gonna speak death, clamp it. This is not speaking about let your words be few if you are preaching the gospel. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. This is not speaking of that. It's saying, do not be hastier in your heart to utter anything before God. In other words, you know what? He hears everything. You'll be judged by it. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 12, 37. There's not, there's not one idle word that will escape judgment. Not one. Gets quiet in here when you start talking about talking. When you talk about talking. Gets quiet because, you see, it's become socially acceptable inside the church to gossip. See how quiet it gets? That's my anointing. That's my gift. Gets quiet whenever I talk. It's the Bible. You look at, if you look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28, a perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. I love the gossips. They always think they're destroying the lives of those that they're gossiping about. You're destroying the life of that one that you're gossiping to. He will separate your friendship. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You're separating yourself from the best friend that you're gossiping to. Not everything needs to be said. Covering offense is more loving. He who covers an offense promotes love. And a, and a gossip separates close friends. That's Proverbs 17, 9. You cover an offense? Yeah, cover an offense. You don't need to tell everybody everything you've seen. I'm not saying that there's certain things that need to be exposed. There is. There are certain things that need to be exposed. But for the most part, he who covers an offense promotes love, but he who repeats the matter separates close friends. You're welcome. Got one yep out of that one. It's because it's socially acceptable. You know, you're on the prayer chain. Hey, how you doing? I really didn't want to say anything, but. Your words should be few if it's one of these four things. You ready? If it's the opposite of God's word, your words should be few. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If you're going to give harsh words, 
You know, not everything has to be dealt with in harshness. Very few things do. A harsh word stirs up anger. Try it out. Just do an experiment. I'm only kidding. Don't do this. <laughs> Answer your spouse harsh and see the look on their face. It stirs up anger. That way, you know, if it's going to be harsh words, you're like, Tom, you're a fireballer podcast up here. It's not how I operate in my daily life. Ask my family. It's not. On occasion, I will bring out the fire. But for the most part, don't poke the bear. I'm pretty much to myself. Eat what you want, live how you want, go to bed when you want. Don't really care. James 1, 19 and 20 says, take note of this. Now listen, whenever you see something like, take note of this, you know what you should do? Take note of it. See how deep I am? You didn't have to go to Bible college for that. I got that for my criminal justice degree at UCF. Criminal justice degrees are for stupid people. Everyone should be quick to listen. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. That's in the Proverbs. I can't remember the number. Should be quick to listen, slow to speak. You know what slow to speak means? Slow to speak. And slow to become angry because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So you should be slow to speak. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. So that's number one. If you're speaking the opposite of God's word, you should let your words be few. Really, you should let your words be what? None. <laughs> if you're a pastor and you believe in closing your church for COVID-19, you ought to never speak. You ought never, not to pastor. You ought to resign right now. Unless you publicly come out and repent. Every single, I hope everybody, I hope everybody sees this. Those of you who are watching on social media, like and share, like and share. Share this to your pastor. Share it to him. I'm looking at the camera. Share it to him. He needs to resign yesterday if you're not going to publicly repent. Because explain to me the biblical precedent of closing your church for a flu bug. Let alone closing the church for any reason. There's always a reason. Hitler had a reason. Stalin has a reason. Mao had a reason. Mussolini has a reason. Maduro has a reason. They've all got a reason. Take their reasons and shove them right up their caboose by keeping your church open. That's what you should have done from day one. It's only day 383, the 15 days to flatten the curve. 383. And yet all these, and listen, don't be deceived. Most states don't look like this. There's plenty of, there's pastors in some, some states that are gathering like we are, and they're being ticketed daily, being monitored. Yeah, the pastor in Canada, I just think, just got out of jail. Canada's gone. It's gone. Great Britain's gone. Australia's holding on by a thread. They're gone. They're gone. They're never coming back outside of mass revival. They'll never come back. Communist state, don't let it happen to you. You need to rise up and take your stand. You may have to lose your job over it. You ready? That's, what all, that's the problem with the cops in this country. Cop right here, 1992 to 2017, 25 years in a day, straight. Cops are, what order won't you follow? 
All the ones that hung for Hitler, that's what their claim was. I was only following orders. You're gonna arrest somebody because they don't have a mask on or not six feet away. It's been lowered to three now, so three feet away. You know, the science endlessly changes. You know, science always changes. Number two, your words should be few if you're dishonoring to God. Exodus chapter 20, verse seven. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Listen to what it says in the second part. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. If you're somebody, listen, I'm going I'm to attack something that's going to bother you. If you're putting OMG anywhere, that's you. Stop doing it. Stop, stop explaining it away. You don't misuse the name of the mighty God of Israel. OMG! Your words matter, and that's a word. Some Christians, they're, they're all the time, it's all the time. Oh my God, oh my God. Let's knock it off. You're misusing the name of the Lord your God. Knock it off. Well, this is a religious church. It's not religious, this is the Bible. If you consider the Bible to be religious, then this is a religious church. You're welcome. You see the looks that I'm seeing right now. I'm not allowed to use OMG. Well, go ahead, you deal with God. I wouldn't. You never see it on my social media, ever. I don't I, see. I don't poke that bear either. Talk about me being the bear. I don't go poking Yahweh. I don't go throw his name around. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs nine ten. Fear of God is a good thing. Now these last two I made up myself. So you can take them or leave them as you see fit. Your words should be few if you're just filling the air. Some of you need to learn to shut up. I mean, seriously. I mean, give somebody else a chance to talk. You've sucked out every ounce of oxygen in the room. And I can tell you this, too. I have a neighbor of mine, and I like to talk to the guy, but he won't, leave, he won't let it go. I always, and this may sound bad for some of you, and you judge me as you see fit. But I try to give everybody five minutes. I can't give you five at the door, so don't hold me that at the door today. I'll clonk you over the head if you say that to me at the door. But I try. I, look, I actually look at the clock. I'm like, you know, because I'm kind of a type A person. I don't know if that shocks you or not. I'm a little type A. Certain regimens and routines, and I don't like anybody interrupting it. So it's even difficult when I'm out walking. I walk for an hour and seven minutes, and then I ride my bike for about 58 minutes. That's what I do in the morning. So, otherwise, I'd be so big, I'd be a Jerry Springer episode with a forklift coming to pull me out of that. Beep, beep, out of that. So I like to get that stuff done. And I have a neighbor that I actually avoid him. I see him walking. I go, and my dog's name's Neil. Neil, come, 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 come. Other way, other way, other way. You do the same thing. Don't look at me with your holy haughtiness. Some of you are like, oh, I feel so bad for him. He's so unholy, not like me. You do the same thing, you hypocrite. You know you avoid people. You know you do. Because he won't let me be. I try to, I'm like, okay, he's on the clock, five minutes. Hit it. We have the same political views, everything. Listen to the same, all, all that. But he won't let me off. 
And like last time, I'm sitting in his drive, I'm like at the 28-minute mark, and I gave five, five warnings. Like, okay, well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! All right, come on, let's go, Neil. <laughs> so I avoid him now. If that's you, stop talking so much. Catch clues. Get clues. Someone's trying to pull away, let them go. What are you going to do, convince them to find you interesting? (laughs) People do it to me, I let them go. They start to squirm, I let them go. That's why you're not, it's 1219, we're leaving at one. I'm not going to hold you here and let you just pontificate all day. You start to squirm, I see you, I let you go. Number four of my own creation, (laughs) you should let your words be few if you're annoying. (laughs) How do you know if you're annoying? You don't know. People who are annoying would stop being annoying if they knew they were annoying. You need to ask somebody. I'm not kidding. A lot of Christians, I just can't find friends inside the church because you're annoying. Or you're weird. It's one of those two. You're a weirdo. Not every butterfly that goes by is an angel. It's a butterfly. It's a freaking bug. Every snake that crawls along the ground is not Satan sending a message your way. They need to cast it out. It's a black snake. It's Florida. There's five billion of them. They're everywhere. If you're annoying, knock it off. Find somebody who will tell you the truth. I don't know you well enough unless you're in my circle to know whether you're annoying. But if you've noticed the fruit of being annoying, see, annoying people keep thinking that someday it's, it's actually the embodiment of insanity. I'll keep doing the same thing over and over again, and I'm hoping that someday my annoyingness actually sits well with people. It won't. If you're noticing the fruit of it, if you notice people running from you, and it's not because of Jesus, stop blaming everything on Jesus. I'm trying to help you. I really am. I'm making light of it for, on purpose, but I'm actually trying to set you free. Sometimes the church is a haven for annoying people because everybody's a little bit sweeter inside the church. If you're annoying where I worked before at the sheriff's office, you are cast down. Publicly made fun of and ridiculed. Before they could track us, before it all got no fun anymore, back when we were free. As cops, now everything's tracked. Like, I mean, you click your radio, it goes, they know who you are. Click your radio, it identifies you. Back when I started, you can click your radio, nobody knew where you were, who you were. Nothing. So what we would do all the time is like, there's annoying people on the radio. One thing, one thing that cops hate is, is stupid, dramatic radio chatter. People want things like, you know, what was my identifier? 3363 dispatch, 1050. Vehicle thing, done. Not all sorts of, and you know, it's partly cloudy outside with a breeze coming out of the north at about three miles an hour. Okay, well, cops will blast you for that. 
because it's annoying. Or you scream on the radio, I'm chasing a guy. Oh, you sound like all of a sudden, suddenly you get you sound like a chicken <laughs> with a log up its rear end. Buck, 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 buck. <laughs> you'll be you'll never live it down ever, <laughs> ever. I had a I had a guy who worked for me who rear-ended a boat. There was a guy dragging, it was in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, he was responding to a call, and there was a guy out dragging his sailboat down Bee Ridge Road, and my guy who worked for me rear-ended the guy's boat. So next time we were at training, we're all sitting there, there's you know, 50 or 60 of us in training, and behind there was a curtain, I'm like, wonder why that's there. And they unveiled, unveiled the curtain, and right behind us, somebody was a masterful artist, drew a giant boat with the deputy's name on, his name is Ortiz, USS Ortiz. <laughs> You never live it down. See, that's, that's the world. In the church, you're a little bit nicer. If you act like an idiot on the radio, all of a sudden you hear toilet flushes on the radio. That's the world. Annoying people find a haven inside the church, not this church. You'll only get so far. If you want to destroy your family, do the following things. And remember, you need to remember the emphasis of the word of God. If God's word emphasizes something, you need to emphasize it. Just like those three things. What were they inside of Galatians 5, 19 through 21? Discords, dissensions, and factions. God cares about your words. If you want to destroy your family, do these things. Are you ready? I got three things. These are not from me. If you want no one saved in your family but calling themselves saved, do these things. Or just flat out rejecting Christianity. Now for some of you that your kids are already gone and they're not saved, listen to me. All is not lost. You're still their mom and dad. You can still set the precedent for them and set the example for them. Number one, ladies, get ready. This is for you. You want to destroy your family, nag your husband. What? That's not serious stuff, isn't it? Is it or is it not? Well, let's look. Proverbs 21, 9. You know, Tom, can't you pick on men? It doesn't talk about men in this area. Men will go to hell for lust. Most men will burn in hell for lust. Women, why they go to hell? I don't know. I'm not female. We're equal in the eyes of God. You have your own problems. I don't know. I've never lived your life. But here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 21.9. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Doesn't say that about guys. Quiet in here. This is why, listen, there's only certain women that can survive this church. They all, there's months, most of them end up hating me. And I never preach nothing that's chauvinistic. I preach what the word of God says. I just said we're equal in the eyes of God. God's not a respecter of persons. He's going to go, males are elevated above females. We have different callings and different gaps to fill. We have different, we have, we're different spokes on the wheel. Despite what Joe Biden says, that there's nothing a man can do that a woman can't do better, as good or better, is what he said. That's not true. I don't think I've ever seen a woman bench press 500 pounds, but I've seen a man do it. Sorry. It's the way it is. You'll still be in heaven. I've also never seen a man push out a baby. 
I know they're trying to make that happen. It's never going to happen. I can't multitask like my wife can. I'm like, here's where I am. Leave me alone. I'm on the track. That's why there's no clicking. There's no, there's no crunching of bottles in here. Nothing. I'm on track. If you do it, I'm going to call you out. It's either me calling you out or Jeff will come to you or Heather. So if you're clicking, smashing, whatever, I'm on track here. I don't, do, I don't multitask. I'm not paying attention to your clicking and smashing while I'm up here preaching. That's it. Right? But this is, this is for women. Have I noticed that this is a problem? Yeah. I used to watch my mother nag my dad. My mother used to nag me too. It does a lot of good, doesn't it? Works out well. You want your husband to hate your guts? There you go. Yeah, but if I someday, just like the annoying person, because nagging is annoying, someday if I nag him enough, he'll fix that garage door. No, he won't. You nag me, I'll do the opposite just to set a precedent. You bother me day in and day out, I'll not do it on purpose. I don't know if it's out of vengeance or to help you. I'm not sure. I'll have to judge my heart on that. Proverbs 21, 19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. <laughs> it's true. If you're, so ladies, what am I saying to you? If you're a brawling, brawling woman, knock it off. Well, someday I'm going to fix them. Oh, yeah. How's that working so far? You got three decades in. How's it working? You going to look at your fruit or not? You're not going to change them by nagging. There's only one hope for you. Sick the Holy Spirit on them. He's the only one that can deal with it anyway. The Holy Spirit doesn't have down days. He doesn't sleep, nor does he slumber. He never grows weary. Sick the Holy Spirit on people. That's what you do. Let them go. Let go or get dragged. Let it go. He may never, ever pick up his underwear, ever. I've learned my wife is never not going to leave her slippers where I trip over them. It's over. It's over. I let it go. So I just kick them across the floor. I don't go pick them up. I don't kick them like this. I run into them. They go sliding across the floor. Wherever they end up is wherever they end up. They're the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my life anyway. So I don't really care disgusting, fuzzy, oh, gross. Who knows what's living in those things, but whatever. It's over. And she's done the same thing with me. We leave each other alone. I've got my proclivities too. She could give you a long list. We do not nag each other. We've been married 25 years. We never fight. Marriage is hard. No, it's not. Obey the Bible. It's easy as pie. Just leave each other alone. I've told you this before. We don't have rules and goofy, stupid, dramatic rules in our house. Well, if I'm out working, then she's darn well better be cleaning the house. Well, she can nap all day. I don't care what she does. The pepper trees are mine. We're surrounded by pepper trees. I have to spend copious amounts of hours and hours and hours every year dealing with them. That's my job. She wants to nap. She can nap. If she's cleaning the house and she's vacuuming and she's doing all that, I'll either nap or I won't. I don't care. You live like that? Yeah. Why aren't you living that way? Scared of your wife. <laughs> Scared of her at all. No, oh, she better see me moving because she's working. I'll turn the TV up louder if that's how she feels. Mm. 
I used to point it at her and mute it. I'd hit mute. <laughs> she loved that. That really helped our marriage. I did, seriously. She goes, what are you doing? I'm hitting mute. <laughs> You're like, what on earth is it like living with you? I don't know. Ask them. They're in here. Oh, I'm looking for my family. There's Tommy. Here's another way to destroy your house. You ready? Notice that the first one had to do with words. The last one won't because I just threw it in because I am who I am. But here's number two. It does have to do with words. Allow cussing in your home. Now, everybody calls cussing cursing and cursing cussing, but here's the definition, just so you know. Cussing is profanity that can include cursing. Cursing is just flat-out cursing when you actually put a curse on somebody like, I hope you die. All right? Cussing is profanity. can also include cursing, but cussing is different. Most of us don't curse people, but there's lots of Christians that I keep running into that attend my church that are cussing. Over and over and over again. I've run into it throughout the years. Not talking about anything specifically recently or, you know, last week or whatever. I'm just saying that I keep seeing it. What Bible are you reading? That makes you think that's okay. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. You want to destroy your house? You want nobody to be saved? You usher in cussing or you bring it back. A lot of Christians suddenly feel free. Well, I'm free and Jesus is for freedom. The Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1, right? It is for freedom that Christ has set me free to profane? Really? He set you free to, he set you free to, I can, listen, I can't claim anybody's going to hell for cussing. I can claim you're going to hell for, for profaning the name of God. But because you drop S-bombs and F-bombs, I can't, I can't prove it. But I can tell you, if you don't want anybody saved around you, go ahead and do it. Have you noticed nobody is? And if you, and listen, even if people do get saved around you, you want them to walk away, let them watch you cuss. Whether you like it or not, this is right out of 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 21. When in Rome, you need to be a Roman. And you may not like the rules, but listen, people in, in America are looking at your mouth. You still dropping F-bombs as a Christian? Bye-bye winning anybody, and you can, t- you can cast your kids away. Where do you get that from? I've only been in the church since 1987. I don't know anything. I've only been pastoring this church for 16 years. I don't know anything. I've only been in law enforcement and dealt with copious amounts of people for years and years and years and years. I can tell you that it's an absolute fact that if you want to destroy your home, you don't want anybody being saved, let them see you compromise with profanity. You're welcome. Colossians 3.8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, filthy language, out of your mouth. Well, when I'm mad, it just has to come out. Liar. What devil told you that? The demon come into your room tell you that? The devil preaching to you? 
Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Listen to the second part. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Parents that kids are already gone that they're not and they're not saved, you can still turn it around. Set the example. Next time you see them, make them. People apologize to me incessantly about their words, Christians and non. Oh, pastor, sorry. I mean, when did it just happen? I can't remember, but there was somebody recently, like a neighbor of mine or somebody that I was talking to. Cannot remember. But anyway, they found out, you know, what do you do now? Well, I, I passed your church. Well, the next cuss word, oh, sorry. You do, do you not want that? Would he have said sorry if I had an F-bomb-laden tyrant right before that? He's reverencing God by reverencing me. All glory to Jesus, but he's reverencing me. You want to destroy your little kids? Just let them see the hypocrisy of your lips. You're welcome. Now, listen, I know this, this, there's probably four or five people never come back because of what I just said. It's up to you. I don't worry about it. I just preach the gospel of Jesus over and over again. Number three, you want to destroy your home? It has absolutely nothing to do with this message, but I had to throw it in. Bring alcohol into your home. Tom, only drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I get it. We, I can have my glass of wine or one beer a day and go to heaven. Agreed. Everybody with me? Don't come to me at the door. Tom, can I talk to you for just a minute? My wife and I, we like to have a glass of wine every day. Go ahead. I'm just telling you, again, in the church since 1987, I've seen alcohol destroy more lives in and out of the church Police calls, everything. Tell me what, what, oh, it's, well, you know, they say that a glass of wine per day, it's good for your heart. Yeah, the wine industry tells you that. (laughs) Just like AstraZeneca with their blood clotting vaccines say the vaccine's good for you too. Where do you get this from, Tom? Again, just the Bible. Let's look. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Whoops! You sure? Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Leviticus chapter 10, 8 and 9. Oh, it's all Old Testament. We'll get to the new. And the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink. Whenever you go into the tent of meeting here, you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. God thinks really highly of drinking, doesn't he? Whoops! Yeah. You go ahead and stand. I will have my one glass a day. Go ahead. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm saying, what does God think of it? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Right? 1 Corinthians 10, 23. So go ahead. It may not. Why do it if it's not beneficial or constructive? Why, explain to me Why? Explain to me why when you have Coke and Pepsi and every other option, it has to be alcohol. Because it gives you a little something. 
Oh, I just love, I just love the taste. Make sure that's the case. Because I've had alcohol in my life, been a long time. It was disgusting. <laughs> You're welcome. You should see the looks I'm seeing. I get it. I will never hold back anything to keep you in this church. That's the best place you can be. You don't want somebody bootlicking you and butt kissing you. <laughs> I'd rather die than that. Proverbs 31.4. It is not for kings to drink wine. I thought you were a royal priesthood in a holy nation. It's not for kings to drink wine, nor for princesses, for princes strong drink. I, gotta, I just got to have my Jack and Coke once a day. Why? Well, explain to me why. Luke 1.15. Here's the ultimate proof for you. Speaking of John the Baptist, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Isn't it funny how God keeps linking alcohol, lack of alcohol to greatness? Kings don't want it. You will not go into the tent of meeting. What, what was the tent? The holy of holies. You ain't going in there if you're a drunkard. You're not going in there if you're a casual drinker. Or you will die. God's, God said it, not me. God does not think highly of alcohol. He doesn't. Well, I want to skirt by. Well, go ahead. If that's what you want to do, I would rather go after greatness in Christ than look to, look to skirt the edges. Why not just surrender all? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Amen. Why would you not choose that? God obviously does not like it. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine or strong drink. Why would God put that in there? If he thought it was beneficial at all to have alcohol in your life, why would he put it in there? He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. What did Jesus think of John the Baptist? Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there, is, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But you're just going to bring the Bud Light back into the house, right? Don't hide it from me if you invite me over. Just live what you are. I remember one time. I was at a wedding with people that attended this church. They're gone now. <laughs> COVID. COVID got them. Not the disease, just the usual stupidity <laughs> but we were at a wedding and it was a Christian wedding and I've literally I've been to a lot of weddings not most of us have so that's no big accomplishment just sheriff's office church a lot of weddings lots of exposure to people married people all that stuff I've never seen at this wedding and this is from a church in Venice it's a, an assembly of God church it was, and it's not that it wasn't a church function. It was just church people. I've never seen so much alcohol in my life, ever, ever. I've been, listen, I have been to knock down, drag out, redneck weddings. 
never seen as much alcohol as I saw at this wedding. They kept pouring out of the kitchen. I'm like, how, is, there, is there a Bordeaux back there? What, what is going on here? Is there a vineyard? Are they plucking grapes? Because I've never seen so many Christian people get jackhammered at a wedding. Ever. And the woman came up to me, who's a friend of mine. She goes, man, certainly there's a lot of alcohol going on here. And I didn't say it to her, boy, if it was now, it'd been on. I was nicer then. <laughs> sort of. Um, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't. I like to think I was. And I didn't say anything, but I want to say, what does it bother you for? What's it bother you? I know she's not a drunkard at all, but you sanction alcohol. Why does this bother you? A lot of the people there were alleged one-drink one Christians, which I've only seen actually in my life one person live up to that, and that's the woman that was talking to me. She did live it. I was around her, ate dinner with her many times, we're very close friends with her and her husband. She lived it. Give her credit, but she's the only one I've ever seen. And I know you're, you know, again, don't come to me at the door with Aunt Susie who does it too. I get it. There's other people. She's the only one I have ever seen since 1987 that lives that out. Most of the one drink Christians I know are the ones coming up to me slurring their speech after their one drink, which was really four. <laughs> and do you know about alcohol content? Do you know the truth of it or not? If not, you need to, I don't know, rent, rent's not the right word. I sound like Joe Biden. I'm so technologically illiterate. But you need to download. There we go. Oh, Aaron's not here for me to ask tech advice. Where's he at? Get in here, Aaron. <laughs> you need to download a teaching by Perry Stone about alcohol. And just please understand something that back in the day when you hear about wine that people drank, the finest wine that Jesus turned the barrels into the finest wine, the alcohol content was 1%. Less than NyQuil. One per, that was the finest wine. You were actually considered to be a heretic if you drank full wine. They watered it all down. So it, out, it averaged about 1%. What's the average in America? 7 to 18%. So when you have your one, you're having seven. Please understand, let the truth set you free. That's the truth. Everything else is a lie. It's, not, it's meant to addict you to a substance. Just like caffeine, just like everything else. There's some of you, you cannot live without caffeine in the morning. That's carnal. You're welcome. So if you want to destroy your family, just usher alcohol around. And you're like, Tom, there's a lot more heinous things. I, I could give you all the sins. I'm telling you the things that aren't necessarily sins. Of course, if you commit adultery, bye-bye family. If you murder your wife, bye-bye family. I get all that. I'm telling you the covert things. Watch it. Don't let the serpent in the door. How are you going to be? I want you to think about it. How are you going to feel when your son comes home from college with two 12-packs walking up your driveway? That never happens in my house. There's no alcohol allowed in my house, period. I don't care what anybody thinks. There's no alcohol at my wedding. It was right across the street is where we had our reception, right across the street at the Tringali. There wasn't any alcohol there. There was 250 people there, not one drop of alcohol. I had people from the sheriff's office leave early because there's nothing to do. 
Have a good night. Felt kind of bad, but oh well. The modern church has chosen volumes of words over words of power. Like, Tom, you're all over the place this morning. Yeah, I know. Or vast words over few words of power. That's where we're at today. Matthew chapter six, verse five. It's called, titled the model prayer. That's because later on, it's Matthew six, nine through 13, which, our, which is our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And when you pray, Jesus said, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And I'm jerking you back from alcohol, but remember, we're talking about words. Matthew 23, 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. 2 Peter 2, 18, verse I've used four or five times in the last five months. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Now, what am I talking about right now? See, what happens in the church is we have chosen religious words. We've, we've chosen long extended prayers. A lot of people get disappointed when I pray for them, I'm convinced. Because people say, hey, Pastor Tom, will you pray? Sure, I'll pray. And I pray for about four or five seconds. I bind that in Jesus' name. Who's in, a, who's in agreement with America? Gather around. What's going on? Well, I have this. We receive healing in the covenant of Jesus. Get ready for him for this to occur right now in Jesus' name. That's all I pray. That's it. People got me get, they're probably disappointed that I didn't say something like, Yahshua, or beest thou this? Long extended prayers of absolutely nothing. Look at the miracles performed by Jesus. Aaron remember this because I preached this like eight or nine years ago. Let me go through this like machine gun fire. Let's see how Jesus prayed. And then let's ask ourselves, do we pray this way? The tongue has the power of life and death. You want, you want death? Preach, I mean, pray religious, long extended prayers. Remember, just like, just like the hypocrites who for pretense make long prayers. Why don't you just get to the point? How, do you, how many of you can't stand the relative that they ask to pray every Thanksgiving? You need to ask me. Lord, I ask you to bless this food that you've given us and bless us. You know, bless everybody in the room and bless this food in Jesus' name. That's all I pray. Not the, now, Lord, we thank you for today. Sunny out, partly cloudy, winds coming out of the north four miles an hour. Thank you, Lord. I thank you. And starts naming each and every 40 person in the place. Thank you for my third cousin, Bethany, and my fourth cousin, Jim. And Lord, we're here, and everyone's like, I am freaking starving. Is he ever going to be done? Those are just for pretense. They do nothing. Listen, if you're a long extended prayer person, you're about to get hurt. Be ready. Gird yourself up. Either go ahead and be ready to be offended or, be, or have your heart open. How did Jesus pray? Because remember, the modern church chooses long flowing prayers of nothing. 
They're the, the long flowing prayer warriors are the same ones that close their church. How did Jesus pray? Well, this is all in Matthew chapter 8. If you're, some of you, I want to make this clear to you because some of you are newer to the church. If you're wondering why I always seem to use Matthew, it's because that's the, that's the, that's the book I read first and memorized all the scripture out of. It's not because I favor Matthew. But I have all these verses memorized because what I do is I go and highlight and I write them down on cards and I memorize them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, so Matthew got hit first. So I've got them all. Matthew chapter 8, verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched. What happened was leper comes up to him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, you said, be clean. Oh, Yahshua. Thou art mighty in heaven. You thunder from the heavens, and we receive, Lord, be it thou thy will. Stretch out your hand and just touch us, Lord, for we aren't worthy. But, Lord, we receive it today. Shut up. Be clean. Shut your stupid pie hole and just say, be clean in Jesus' name. If you, are you a Christian or are you a Pharisee? Because Christians pray like this. That's what they do. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, remember the centurion said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. Didn't even pray. Look at me. Whoops. Didn't even pray. Didn't pray over Lazarus either. He only prayed for public spectacle. Whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose is loose. Lazarus, come forth. Verse 15. His mother-in-law. He touched her hand and the fever left her. No prayer. Boink. That's it. That's Jesus, though. He gave you everything. Every spiritual gift is yours. Ephesians 1, 3. Everything is given to you. you that's you. you. You don't even need people to know. I do it all the time. Go up and just touch them. You're like, Tom, what are you, a perv? I'm not a perv. I touch their shoulder. Get it out of your head. I go up and I just touch them. Be healed. And I expect them to be healed. I don't ever need to know. It's not for my glory. It's for Jesus' glory. Verse 16. When evening came, Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. It doesn't even say he prayed over the sick. I guess it took him one word to drive out the demons and no prayer to heal all the sick. But here we are on our knees begging God. Why? Are you a joint heir with Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, 16 and 17, or are you not? What are you begging for? Well, I'm just humbling myself. No, it's heresy. It's heresy to live like that. God has made you a joint heir with Jesus Christ and you're begging? You're not a beggar or a pauper. You're a king or a queen. That is the way that it is. You are a royal priesthood. Get off your knees and start claiming things in boldness. Let us boldly approach the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16. Yeah. 
Is this how we pray? And they're like, you, you, I'm not talking about when you worship on your knees. or do. I'm talking about an attitude. You don't worship on your knees? Go ahead. I can't do it. I'm too fat. It makes my knees sore. <laughs> too much weight just crushing down. I'm like, no, I'm good. My feet are used to it. Let them bear the burden. <laughs> bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of grace. Is this how we pray? Ask yourself, is it? If it's not, why? Why, why, would, you pray more, why would you pray differently than Jesus Christ? This is where let your words be few comes in. If you're, if you're praying prayers like that, then you need to just shut up. You don't even pray. You're welcome. If there's no power, and what I mean by no power is there's no results, and here's the key. No expectation of results. No disappointment at no results. See, listen, when I pray and it doesn't happen, I'm willing to risk that. I'm willing to suffer the humiliation. Well, Tom said this was going to happen, and it didn't happen. Okay. I'm going with the Bible. That means I'm humiliated. David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Right? 2 Samuel 64, 6, he danced before the Lord with all of his might, right before his wife, who's mocking him the entire time. I don't care. I don't say that to be a false prophet or anything. I believe when I pray over someone, they will be made well, or their situation will change. I believe it. Period. I will never back off. Ever. But... All these pansy pastors, I need to come up with a PPP for all my CCCs. <laughs> They're afraid. There's no power. Why are you even praying with no expectation? I refuse. You tell me what you want or I'm not praying over you. Well, I'm just praying for strength. What does that mean? Strength. Strength for what? Well, just so that I can deal with the situation, then we need to pray over the situation that it goes away. Not strength to live with it. When my dog takes a giant dump in my house, I don't live with it. Just pray, just gave just strength to pray over that. I mean, that's a strength to deal. Strength for it. Why don't you scoop it up and throw it out the door? Lord, be it thou thy will for me to deal with the stinkethness that is on my floor. You got to go with the King James language all the way. If there's no power, there's no expectation of results, no disappointment and no results, be willing to work a nerve. It's all right if you get a little disappointed, it'll be okay. People change their theology running from disappointment. The apostles failed. They came to Jesus. What did he say? Lack of belief. Unbelief. They took it on the chin. Why can't you? It's, you're a Christian, aren't you? Just like Peter and John and the rest of the apostles. Jesus, why could we not cast it out? Matthew 17, 20. Because of your unbelief. There's no power because the prayer is prayed from a place of unbelief. But with lots of words. Boy, that's a pretty prayer. Wow, that's pretty. That's beautiful. No, you know what that sounds like? Oh, that's interesting. 
That sounds like Matthew 16, 13. You know, it sounds very much similar to what Jesus said about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're beautiful outwardly, but are inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. They're beautiful. Beautiful prayer. You sound like a poet. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't sound like a poet. Lazarus, come forth. There's no, thing, there's no rhyme there. No rhyme. Praying nothing for fear it won't work. That's most pastors and most Christians. Pastors get picked on first. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And inside that house, judgment begins, begins with pastors. 1 Peter 3, 1. 1 Peter 4, 17. If we pray like that, then what makes us different than the Pharisees? And for pretense, make long prayers. If we have no expectation of results, then why are we praying? Words are important. You need to judge your words. For By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned, right? For they pray, for they love to pray standing on synagogues, in the synagogues, and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen of men. If you're praying for nothing, then why are you praying? Don't say I wouldn't do that. If you're praying and believing for nothing, why are you praying? Answer, to be seen praying. That's why. Why would you be praying then? I'll give you the answer in a minute. Here's another reason, to appear compassionate. That's why you pray? For pretense. That's pretense. Pharisee. You're a Pharisee. You need to be out. Listen, you need to be out on the edge with me. Willing to be humiliated if something doesn't work out the way that you prayed it. It's not, no, listen, a lot of times it's not your fault. It's who you prayed over. It has no, they have no belief. I'll tell them that to their face. Because, listen, there's people I've prayed over and they don't get healed. And I hear them. They end up having conversations with their spouse or their friends. And they're dumping loads like, well, if it's God's will, then I'll be healed. Even after they've attended this church for a decade, I want to throw this microphone at their skull. What's the matter with you? <laughs> have you not heard the Bible? You don't pray that way. If, if, if it's God's will for me to be healed, it is God's will. On earth as it is. Yeah. Period. Well, that hasn't worked out. That doesn't mean that God's wrong. It means you're wrong. God's never wrong. His word's never off. If you're praying and believing for nothing, why are you praying? Answer, it's your religion. You know, different than a Catholic. Just go sign up. Go sign up. Seriously. I'm allowed to say it. I was raised Catholic. I can bash them all I want. I don't care. I can bash Irish. I can bash Germans. And I can bash Catholics. <laughs> and preachers. And cops. <laughs> and everybody else <laughs> just be free you should sign up it's like all the non-tithers you ought to go join the democratic party you you like welfare it's me and the rest of the tithers that are funding this church you're not doing squat you're living on christian welfare like, why do I ever step into this building? This is exactly what you need, man. This is what you need. Wake you up, be free, and be powerful. Instead of some sort of homogenized Christian, safely anesthetized and corralled away into helplessness and uselessness. You need to be stoked alive. Stir up the gift of God which is in you. 
This is what you need to say. If you're praying and believing for nothing while you're praying, there's a pretense, a long pretense, pretense prayer. This is what you should say to somebody. Just look them in the eye and say this. I got it quoted right here. Just say to them, hey, hey, Tom, will you pray for me? Listen, man, I really don't believe anything will happen, so no. <laughs> you know it's you. I said believe, not could happen. You don't believe anything's going to happen, then why on earth are you praying? You're a Pharisee. You're praying for a, a show of compassion, a show of religion. Don't just look them in the eye and say, listen, just be honest. Like a lot of Christians need to take their Bibles and throw them away. We're not Muslims. You can throw this away. You can burn it if you want. You're not going to hell for it. We're not, we don't worship this book full of pages. You got to throw it away. Don't act like you live it. And if you're going to pray over people, useless prayers, understand that you're part of a Pharisaic cultish activity doing nothing. That's why we have all the Christian leaders today. Begging for vaccines. They have no idea what's in here. They never pray for healing. They're lost. I'm trying, I've, I've fasted this week saying other Christians' names. <laughs> it's really hard right now because they're just right there. And I so badly want to drop names right now. But I felt compelled this week to not do it. Oh, man. I already exposed them. Don't they? I got it. I already have. I've already said their names. I'm just trying to be, I don't know. So anyway. They've lived in so much non-biblical heresy for decades. That's why they're so clueless. If you talk, you talk to Pastor Rodney. And, you go, and I've told you this before, but these major Christian leaders have absolutely no idea what's going on. None. They still think their churches are closed to save lives. And their churches are still closed. Right now, 383, into 15 days to flatten the curve, they have absolutely no idea because they're actually more Pharisee than they are Christian. Because they've been praying useless prayers. They go to, you go to Bible studies, these big name authors, and you have their step-by-step, -step, you know, 10 steps to discovering your victimhood. Yeah, I'm making that up. But that's really what it is. Ten steps of discovering how it's your mom's fault. And then book two, your dad's fault. In book three, nobody's fault but your own. That's the one I would write. But they've been praying these prayers of uselessness. For all, you can't stand up to a virus with a 0.1% post-infection death rate. Then what kind of prayers are you praying? Heading towards the end here. Five more minutes. Everybody good? If you pray with no expectations, you pray in ambiguity, if you pray in doubt, how different is the Christians from the prophets of Baal? Some of you know where I'm going, where we're going to finish. We're going to finish on Mount Carmel here in a minute. How different is the Christian that prays useless, ambiguous prayers than the prophets of Ezra? That's what they did. Who exactly are you praying to? With no expectations. You ever asked yourself that? Who exactly are you? It certainly isn't the God of the new covenant. Let's look. Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. <laughs> is everybody catching this? 
With, without faith, I'm going to let you, we're going to do a very short clothing, closing, so stay with me for five minutes. Who exactly are you praying to? It certainly isn't God of the new covenant because it says without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. James 1, 6, and 7. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from God. Who are you praying to? Galatians 1, 6. I marvel, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Christians are always willing and able to form an image of Jesus that's more comfortable for them. Who are you praying to? Here's where we'll finish. And I'm going to skip ahead. We're in 1 Kings. The whole, the whole part I was going to read to you was 16 through 39, but we're going to start at 25. Remember what happens here. This is about Elijah and Ahab. So Elijah basically puts out a challenge. Bring 400 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Ezra, and meet me at Mount Carmel. Elijah said, verse 25, to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. He mocks them from day one, from minute one. God sets a table before you in the presence of his enemies. He will publicly mock them for you. You don't do it. You live at peace with everybody. Let God do the work. He's like, listen, this might offend you, but he's like, you're, like, you're like a mafia boss. They never do all the killing. You sit back and relax. Not that you're the boss over God, but he'll go take care of things. You don't need to do it. Choose one of the bulls and prepare for, since there's so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. This is where we're finishing. Everybody stay with me because we're going to be out of here in just a minute. Baal, and then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. What's the difference between this and a Christian who prays nothing? But there was no response. Isn't that funny how that always works? Lord, if it beeth thou thy will, Yahshua, reacheth out thy hand to touch my brother. Well, that's pretty. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. That's fantastic. You know, we'll come in, we'll dance around, we'll worship. People are dying all around us. Nobody can heal anybody. But, you know, we're worshiping. At noon, verse 27, Elijah began to taunt them. <laughs> I was so fit into this scenario right here. <laughs> My wife refuses to play board games with me because I never stop taunting everybody. Ooh, that had to hurt. Play Monopoly with me. Ooh, ouch. They all hate me. They all gang up against me. It's three on one. I still technically won in my mind last time we played, but that's debatable. At noon, Elijah became to, began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he, is, surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. That's how Christians pray. 
So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords. I hope that's where Christians draw the line. And spears as their custom as was their custom until they until blood flowed. Midday passed, verse 29, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. That's why the church has to resort to gimmickry. Put their wavy flags out. Bingo. Giveaways. Gift packs and growth tracks. That was poetry right there. You guys missed it. It was poetry. Then Elijah, verse 30, said to all the people, come here to me. It's risky. Look at me now. That's risky. You're like, it's Elijah. You have a better covenant than he does. You're afraid of COVID? I mean, look what he, I mean, listen, it's all on the, his rear end is on the line. Come here to me and watch. They came to him and repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down, of course. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two says of seed. Verse 33, he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars, those are barrels, with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Not just the offering, on the wood too. Is that how you pray? Why not? You have a better covenant than he does. In order, Listen. In order for Elijah to come into contact with God, he had to go into the tent of meeting for all intents and symbolic purposes. I know God also communicated with them directly, but I'm just saying according to that covenant. So they poured the water on the wood. You know what he says? Do it again. And they did it again. Do it a third time. And you're afraid to pray over somebody with purpose over the cold? Do it again, he ordered. And they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. In other words, it couldn't be more wet. At the, that's my own. At verse 36, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so those people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their backs back again. Then the fire, listen. Woo! Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water around the trench. That's how you pray. That's how you pray. That's it. The rest of it is Pharisaic cultism. Run from it. Just never go back. When you pray, just pray simple prayers. Get out, get in, be healed, raise up, whatever it is. That's how you pray. Amen? Worship team. Praise you, Lord. Everybody stand. Thank you for listening to Foundation Church's weekly message. We hope that you have been encouraged and empowered. If you would like to partner with us, please visit foundationchurchfl.com and click on Give.